Welcome to the Hardwood Hustle powered by PGC Basketball. We believe in the value of a coach. We're here to educate, empower, and encourage you to lead like never before. This week, TJ and Sam discuss transition offense. Should you have a numbered break? Should you run every time? The difference between a great transition team and a team that runs? And how to train it in practice? Before we start, a quick word from Manawatsa. Coach, would you like to have a team full of great shooters next season? We've partnered with our friends at NOAA to bring to you the Hoops app, a free app to help your players measure the trajectory and arc of their shot. They'll get immediate feedback after every make or miss so that they can course correct and become a better shooter faster. Have your players download the Hoops app at thehoopsapp.com forward slash PGC today so that you can have a team full of better shooters next season. Welcome back to the Hardwood Hustle. TJ and Sam here with you, and we're going to talk about an X's and O topic and specifically transition offense and a lot of things that can come out of that. TJ, when you think about this, transition happens maybe more than any other part of the game. Any other part. It's going to happen almost every single play, maybe not a dead ball, you know, inbounds. But other than that, it happens more than any other part yet, yet. Oftentimes, practices are designed, and rightfully so in some cases, to be a half-court execution. And you do have to be good in that. But I think, and in my own journey, I've aimed to make practices more transition-oriented. So let's just – we're going to go a lot of different directions or a few different directions on this today. But what are some opening thoughts you got for transition offense? Man, I got a ton of thoughts. I mean, first of all, I think age and stage is really interesting because I think I would definitely teach kids to run at a young age early, like how to play the game faster, you know, how to how to get open, how to get more shots, how to make the game more interesting, more fun. They have to learn through failure and go on that. So I, I definitely in younger ages err on the side of like transition basketball. I don't love like just run and jump and trap and all of that kind of stuff because, you know, some of that can be based on, well, you know, okay, these young ladies can't make cross-court passes or, you know, they don't have a ball handler or whatever. So I don't love all of that gimmicky defensive stuff in the full court, but I love the idea of offensive transition, learning whether you're the better team or not the better team, learning to play fast, learning to cover 94 feet, learning to play in space, like all of those concepts I think are really good. As you level up and you get to, you know, high school basketball, college basketball, I think there's a whole lot of other factors that come in to transition basketball. I think in a perfect scenario, everybody loves the idea of transition basketball, but what it takes to be good in transition, what level of commitment you're going to make to it, um, you know, what you're willing to live with, shots that you like and don't like, does my defense match my offense? You know, I, I just think there's a lot of decisions and we know we can dive into those, but there's just a ton of decisions on on offensive transition, how fast you run, how do you run, why do you run, uh, you know, how much do you run? Like there's so many questions to answer there and it, not one size fits all. I think it's different for every team, but I think you have to ask yourself the right questions. Yeah, I agree. And, and again, we could go a lot of we could spider web out and we will a little bit, but let's go here with it first. This is something I think a lot about, and I don't know that you and I have even talked off off air, off camera about it much. Let's talk about this. Do you prefer a numbered break or do you prefer to just get out and run and fill lanes 
and play kind of a positionless break. Hey, we're just going to go out and, and run the floor and, and try to make plays against a disadvantaged defense. You've, you've done a little bit of both over your career, but where are you at right now, 20 years in with your college team? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I've, you know, there's some things I feel definite about. And this one is, I, you know, I'm not going to say you need to do this because I think it can be different for different teams. You know, I, you know, a couple of years back, Rick Torbett um, was watching a lot of film on the Golden State Warriors and their transition buckets and their baskets. And, you know, he was charting those and tracking those. And I thought it was really interesting. We had a conversation one time and he was just talking about um, the Golden State and how many times the break was led by somebody different. You know, a lot of times Draymond was the initiator of the transition, but it could have been Clay, could have been, you know, uh, Steph, could have been anybody. And they they kind of run positionless. And they don't hesitate. So there is this, you know, how how long does it take you to get to the other end of the floor? I mean, most players at, you know, high school, college, NBA, at a maximum of three to four dribbles can get to the other end of the court. You know, and that's three to four seconds. And so anytime that you take the ball out and you get to the outlet and all that, that's another second, second and a half to get the ball going. And so if it's four seconds, I mean, that's really a 25, 30% difference. And the amount of time he gets to get the ball. So I think the way to really get easy buckets in transition is be able to have multiple people that can ignite the break. I think that's the best way to get easy, quick ones. Now, you can also run a numbered break, and it doesn't mean you won't get stuff in transition. I think you'll get less, but it may create good spacing and opportunities for you to get good early offense. So you might, by anybody initiating the break, you know, you might get something in the first three to five seconds. Now, a numbered break you know, it might create advantages for you and you might get it in the fourth to eighth second. You know, it might be a little bit later that you get it, but you created an advantage early. Neither one is wrong. It's just a matter of what you're looking for. I just think, I think that the anybody taking the ball will create quicker, more opportunities for you. The number break gives you a little bit more structure to it, may limit some turnovers and may give you some other opportunities to get early shots because you got early big advantages. And a big advantage is, a long closeout, people out of position, you know, that kind of stuff. And and that that's just as valuable to be able to get good shots. And I think there's a fine line. Last thing I would say this, there is a fine line between a good transition team and a team that runs. You know, there are teams that run and jack bad shots and call that transition basketball. But I go back to I believe that the quality of your shot versus the quality of their shot is going to be the number one indicator in winning and losing a game. And so just because a team runs and jacks shots up quickly doesn't mean they're great in transition. We sometimes mistake that for being great in transition. Yeah, and this is just a really interesting decision that a coach has to make because, you know, a few years back, I started using Mike Neighbors' system that, you know, Mike's a good friend of ours and we speaks at the clinics. And TJ, in the last nine years – they have led the country at two different, you know, two different institutions, schools, programs that he coached. They've led the entire women's college basketball in turnover percentage. And if you watch them play, some people, you know, he would say, oh, he just lets his girls play. And he's like, man, that's a great compliment. But they're a numbered break. They do have a two go right corner, three left corner, five rim run. And he has, you know, you know, different names and terminology. Hey, the trail, they call it the dragon, always trails behind the one. And they really want to push the pace. And he's got us down to a science of when, you know, at what uh, what time they should get to the corners. And so in that structure, there's a lot of freedom. 
But one of the reasons I think they have such a low turnover precision is because there's roles and they do play fast and have a good transition game. But man, I in my in my world, TJ of coaching, you know, high level travel ball, older boys, and then coaching younger teams. You know, I, I'm always torn at this. Like, man, I hate putting kids in boxes developmentally, which is a numbered break kind of can do in some ways, even though we then flow into a positionless system. But then I feel like, man, the structure actually lets them develop. So it's just a it's a really tough decision uh, as to what you do. And the, and the answer may be yes. The, the, either one's fine. You know, hey, should I play man or zone? Should I run faster or, or walk it up? I don't know. What what do you think about that? Just like what I'm sharing about the structure, reduced – you already said it, reducing turnovers. Yeah, I mean, high clarity, oftentimes we say it leads to high performance. And so a numbered break where people go specific spots, sometimes they get there faster because they have clarity and they don't ever second guess what should I be doing here in the break, which could cause another split decision, second of decision, where should I go? Should I not go? Should I fill? Should I not fill? So, I mean, there's, you could argue that back and forth. And I, again, I think that goes back to just knowing your players and understanding their strengths and their ability to pick up on stuff. And also goes to how many ball handlers you have on the floor. Do you, do you, are you good with three or four people igniting the break or do you want one person to be the primary decision maker um, are you willing to pass the ball up ahead or do you want to push it via the dribble with a point guard because you want them making most of the decisions? All of those things factor in. And again, we had an episode not too long ago about knowing your personnel and being, you know, being the master of understanding that. I think that factors into transition. The thing that I, I believe probably has the highest level of influence on transition is your commitment to it. And so like when you watch Mike coach, He's fully committed to transition. He's fully committed to running those spots. They're fully committed to the options that they're going to have in transition. Now, look, there's always a flip side to that. To get great at something, you might be giving up something else. And I think one of our mistakes we make as coaches is oftentimes wanting to be great at everything. And we want to be great in defense. We want to be great in secondary. We want to be great in transition. We want to be great, you know, in all of those things. But to truly be great in something, you're going to commit to it more than you are everything else. You're not going to give four things 25% of your time. If you want to be great at something and you give 25% of your time to one of eight things or one of seven things, like it's going to be hard to be great at it. And so, you know, when you look at a team, we're like, man, I love Mike Neighbors transition. Man, I love Tony Bennett's pack line defense. Man, I love so-and-so quick hitters. I love like we, we do look at it like that piecemeal as coaches. It doesn't fit like that. So I think making a decision, and that's what I've noticed in the best transition teams that we've ever faced, is they're more committed than everybody else to transition. And that's not to say that they're going to win every game. It's not to say that they're they're going to they're better because of it. They're just better in transition because they're more committed to it than other teams. Yeah, and I think I think now it's important to talk about why would you be a transition team versus why maybe you wouldn't. You know. In my world, I want to be a transition team because I want to play a deeper bench. I want more um, offensive shots on goal. I want more possessions. I want I want more guys or girls to get more shots. I want to play fast for those reasons. So that's 
that's a big that's a big part and factor into why we run. Again, we want more possessions, more shots taken on goal. We want to play a fast tempo on offense, and we're going to pick up and guard you full court. Not a crazy run and jump undisciplined, but we're going to guard you and pick you up and really put stress on the ball and be relentless. Um, so I think that's an important thing. You got to know why you are going to do it versus why you may not. And I'll, I'll kind of segue into this, which is, you know, another philosophy I kind of take on is we like to run on misses and turnovers, like really get out and run and play fast. On made buckets, we still want to run. But honestly, in my back pocket, this is where we might run quick hitter action. We might go into some Miami action or, you know, flow into some sort of pass and cut with some with some uh, screen to screener action. So. You know, I think that is another thing. Do you run only on misses and turnovers and then you gear it down on makes? And th- that's kind of what I've taken. What about you? Well, I think you're going to land in one of three places. And I think it's really important to be conscious of where you land. You're either going to fully commit to running, you're going to run opportunistically, or you're not going to run. And I think you, you need to choose where you're going to land on that and put the amount of time necessary in to the decision that you're behind. So you can't say we're going to run all the time and make it a big focal part of our offense and then not work on it. Like you got to work on it. You can also be one that says we're not going to run. We want to lower the number of possessions. We're going to bank on our half court defense. You know, we're going to whatever it is that you're trying to do, or you can be an opportunistic running team. My personal preference is to be an opportunistic running team, meaning we're definitely gone on turnovers. We're definitely gone on misses. And at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is get the other team green. Like when I say we have a green possession, that means that we've gained an advantage and we get an advantage shot. So a way to gain advantage in running in transition is attacking a disorganized defense. That's our, that's our priority on a miss. Now on a make, I think teams are pretty good in defensive transition at our level. And so I don't think that just running on every make is that easy to do unless you're fully, fully, fully committed to it. And you got to put a lot of time into it, how you get the ball out of bounds, where you get the outlet, you know, all of those things factor into running on a made basket. So I look at us as making decisions opportunistic. We're going to run on turnovers. We're going to run on misses, but we don't think we can necessarily get you green by getting an outlet and beating you up the floor on a made basket. And so we're going to run some things that hopefully give us a little bit of an advantage early in the possession to get us green, to get us an advantage. So I would put us in the opportunistic category of, of transition offense. Yeah. One, one mistake I see made and I see it because I've, I've made it mistake is you want to be a running team and then you have a like six or seven secondary quick hitters and in reality, what happens is your players get into a mode of gearing it down to get into their secondary rather than looking at their primary break options because you've got the built-in secondary. And that, that's where it goes back to what I said earlier. Hey, if you as a coach are communicating to your players, hey, look, we're going to be a, a defensive team that makes the other team really grind and, and take bad shots. If we if we get misses and turnovers, we're running primary break. Hey, if they scored on us, we still want to run. But if if they get back in transition, that's when we get into our secondary. I think that articulation to your players is important and something to be thinking about. 
Yeah, and you're right, Sam. I mean, it's easy to draw things up on a board, but it takes a lot of work to do that. I mean, unintended unintended consequences. When you're setting up secondary and running plays out of your secondary, your transition off misses is going to slow down because players have a hard time just connecting those dots sometimes and realizing, oh, I'm running this time. Oh, I'm not running this time. Oh, I'm running. It can be confusing to them. And you're not that you can't work through that, but you're going to have to work through that because you're telling them sometimes run, sometimes don't run. And that, that happens to us. I mean, there, there's a lot of times when we're like, yeah, of course we want to run off of misses. But then we get into our, our quick hitter action on make, and I find ourselves just relying a little bit on that. And so then we slow the roll on the run, and we're not committed to the run. That's why I think the time you put into each one matters, and you got to know there's going to be slippage in whatever one you do choose. Let's talk about this for a second. Rim runner. Man, you know, for so long, it was very common to have a rim runner. And then I think the game's evolved over the last 10, 15 years where you're like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to send somebody to the rim and clog up driving lanes or kick ahead attack lanes. Where are you at with rim running, TJ? Do you do it? Do you like it? If you don't, why not? You know, talk to us about that. You know, one of the things that um, Ben McCollum said, he's a coach at Northwest Missouri State. They've had a ton of success. And one time I heard him say this, that like just because you have five players on the floor spread out, it doesn't mean you have good spacing. Mm-hmm. If you have three players in spots that they can't score from, you know, where's the defense going to be? And so I, I think that you need to get players on the court to places they can score the basketball. That's good spacing. That can be – from cutting, from posting, from whatever, uh, you know, so not necessarily just saying, hey, we're running five out and we're going to trail from the post every single time. Well, if you're going to trail from the post every time and your five doesn't shoot the ball very well, we're just going to put our five in the middle of the paint and clog things up. And so did you accomplish something like that? I would rather have that person posted and occupied than I would have them standing out on the perimeter. So again, personnel plays a really big part in this, deciding how you're going to run. I think it changes the way that you run and what you're trying to get. So I don't necessarily feel uh, one way or the other about it. I think it goes back to the personnel. Do you have two or three bigs that can run the entire game? Or do you need one big to play the entire game because it's the only one that you trust? And do you want to run them the entire game? Or do you want them to just kind of get a little bit of break on the trail? I think personnel fits in there um, as well. I mean, that's one of the things where I think we've our first post player this year can really run the floor. I worry about our second and third, and we need our first one on the floor a lot. And so do we want him every single time trying to wear down the other post player while he's wearing down himself? Because we're going to ask him to be help side. We're going to ask him to rebound. We're going to ask him to help get into action. We're going to ask a lot of that five person. So I think going back to that, it can adjust and change a little bit every year on how you run and why you run. I think just make purposeful decisions. Yeah, a couple of years ago, you know, Rudy Bentley, one of our PGC directors, you know, we, we help lead this travel ball program. We went to this um, philosophy, TJ, where we had RT guys. Our four and five, we called them RT, which stood for rim runner and trail guy. And so we said, hey, you're competing. One of you at any given possession, one could be a rim runner, the other is the trail. So on a defensive rebound or a turnover, they were competing for the rim run And then we would let them either post or flow out to the short corner and eventually into a five out if they want. And we play kind of a positionless. And what I I liked it in theory and application, 
I really didn't because there was indecision. There were times where they both got out and sprint and we got two guys running into the paint and then they would kind of t- uh, trail off or, you know, the other one thought they were. And that's where the numbered break just made a lot more sense to me because it gave more structure. And again, I you know, Golden State Warriors, it works really well. They don't, you know, Draymond could push it, Steph, Jordan, pull all these different guys. And I think that that pro level, you know, more mature player, higher IQ, more practice time. You know, there is, like you said at the very beginning, there's just so many factors that go into it. And I think being aware of that is just so important. And and so that's where I've and, – and let me – one more point on that. So we had a kid. You recruited him. He's playing junior college out in Midwest right now. I was – he's about 6'9". I was, like, fighting tooth and nail to try to get him to be a rim runner. Like, I just wanted it. And I, re- I realized about two, three weeks into practice, I said, Sam, what are you doing? Stop fighting it. You know what I did? He just became permanent trail guy because <laughs> me trying to get him to sprint the floor every time, like I was losing that battle and he was too good of a player. He could trail and shoot the three. He could post up. And he that was more it, like I still had a high standard for his effort, but I was I gave, I, I, he won that one. He was our permanent trail guy because he could still utilize his skill set. So, again, I'm sharing these things, TJ, because I think these are important things coaches need to be thinking about. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I I think that there are times when you need to punt on some things, whether it's in transition or or not in transition. You know, you're you're fighting something that the return on investment's not really good, and you're not going to get where you want to get. You're going to waste practice time. And so, you know, you're not giving in to the player but you're just going to say, this is not the battle I want to fight. There may be another battle more important to fight. I think that it is, I've always felt it's a mistake not to be at least an opportunistic running team is, I mean, even the analytics play out pretty good at the percentage of shot that you're going to get in the first five, six seconds, where you're going to get in the last five, six seconds in the middle of the shot clock, you know, what you're going to get. And it is always tougher to go up against a set defense, right? And so not making those, not making the decision to go run and get some of those opportunities. The only way to balance that out is to be on the other end, really good in defensive transition. Because if you're going to get zero points in transition and they're going to get eight, I mean, that's a pretty big gap that you have to overcome. And so I, I, I've said this before, it doesn't matter where I think winning that category, like, if you're trying to score 28 points in transition and you're trying to give up 18, you're a plus 10. That's good. If you're trying to get four points in transition and give up zero, that's your game plan. You're sending five back. You're walking it up. You're always floor balanced. That's okay, too. I mean, you're four to nothing in transition, but you do have to be conscious of the fact it's hard if you're going after zero points in transition. Your, your, your defense has got a lot of pressure on them, you know, and your offense has a lot of pressure on them because they don't get those easy buckets. And you can see that. And again, not the wrong way to do that. You can see that in Virginia sometimes. I mean, they struggle offensively. Uh, they don't always look fluid. They're probably not seeing the ball go through the rim as much because they, you know, they're a little bit more um, structured in the way that they go through that. And that can be a part, but it works too. I mean, they've won a national championship that way and they've played some 52 to 48 games and they don't give up much to you in transition. You're going up against their set defense and they believe in it. So there's not just one way, you know, to skin a cat. There's, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but I just think you have to be intentional about your game plan in transition, your offense and defensive transition game plan, because you can't be 
giving up 14 and scoring four, there's you're going to have to really overcome a big gap of a minus 10 somewhere else throughout the game. So you just you need to make a decision of how we're going to try and win that game. Is it two to nothing? Is it 28 to, to 20? But how are we going to win the transition game? Well, I like that you brought up the Virginia thing. So, you know, man, we, we admire and respect Tony Bennett so much. And he, if you haven't listened to the podcast that we had him on uh, from a year or two ago, go back and listen to it. Man, a great leader, great coach. But, TJ, on the Virginia point, the, even the national championship year, they, they had to win like three games in the tournament, you know, on last possession. And part of that is March Madness, and that, that's kind of the deal. Like you're going to win some close games, but you're going to be in a lot of grinded out four-point, two-point last possession games if you're not opportunistic. Me and you were at a clinic 20 years ago. We heard Hubie Brown. I don't know if you remember this. The Spurs and the Lakers were playing in the NBA championship. That was when they had those great battles with Kobe, Shaq, Duncan. And Hubie said – he predicted at the beginning of the series, like the Spurs are going to beat the Lakers because he said they're a fast break team. They they take advantage of some fast break, whereas the Lakers, he felt like, didn't really do that and take advantage. And I always have remembered what Hubie Brown said at that clinic, and I've always remembered it. And so I think that's important. Let's talk about tangible ways that you that coaches could bring this to life. I'll, I'll share one. You can either build off of it or go another direction. But coaches, let's let's pretend for a moment you want to be a running team. Well, you could do five on O drills and work on it and have, hey, we got to score, you know, four buckets in 16 seconds getting up, down, back, down, back. Or you could play games. And here's a game you can play. A lot of teams play slow and under control. A lot of teams can play fast and out of control. Special teams can play fast and under control. So here's a game you can play. A five-on-five game, and it's called five seconds to the arc. You can also say five seconds to the paint. But what that means is you've got to penetrate the arc within five seconds of gaining possession. If if you went, if a coach is listening and you took this into practice, here's what will probably happen. Players are going to try to get there in five seconds, and they're probably going to take some bad shots. It'll be pretty ugly early on. But it'll get your players playing really fast. If you wanted to one-up what we call plus one it, you could even say you can't dribble the ball across half court, meaning that forces your other players to really sprint ahead. And it forces that ball handler to have their eyes up and kick it before they get to half court. So those are just a couple of ways. If you wanted to play fast, again, we can build off. There's more nuance to it than just that general thing I just shared. But, TJ, I'll stop there to see if you want to build on it or go a different direction. No, I like it. You know, I think we've done sometimes seven seconds to the paint. And so, like, you know, not being in a crazy amount of hurry, but at the same time, you know, to me – the, to me, the goal of transition, and it's not necessarily the only way, the goal of transition to me is to puncture the paint. Like when we get inside out threes or drop offs, like our field goal percentage goes way up. And that's true of any team. And so I don't put my biggest emphasis on getting the ball over half court or getting the ball to the corners or getting, and now all those things matter. Get the ball to the corner, you flatten the defense, like all that stuff is good. But at the end of the day, like, can we get the ball into the paint in that, you know, five, six second range, then they're going to be scrambling. And so I, you, I think the team needs to know you're in goal there, too. This is where I see teams go bad. 
where running fast means shooting fast. And like you said a second ago, under control team. So running fast doesn't always mean shooting fast. We're running fast to create an early big advantage. We're not running fast to shoot fast. Now, if we run fast and it creates a big advantage in three to four seconds, then we will take that shot. But we're not running so that we can shoot fast. We're running so that we can get an advantage quickly and have more time to gain advantages and use advantages. Well, would you, are you okay with the kick ahead non paint puncture three, the, the sprint in the field, the corner, the wing, and kick ahead and shoot that for your good shooter? Yeah, I think that's one of those green light, red light, yellow light things. You know what I mean? I think, I, I think where it gets messy is when anybody shoots it. Um, because, it, listen, I, if you go and you really chart shots, not all shooters are the same. You know, some people on the move, some people running fast and stopping on a dime. Like there's a, there might be some players on your team that could be several players on your team that could shoot 40% from the three point line. If they take the right ones under control with time, you know, all of those things happen. They can shoot 40%. Now your best shooter may only shoot 38, 37% and somebody else shoots 40. And you think, well, that person's got a higher percentage. They probably just need to take less and take the right ones. Whereas somebody else you know, running in the transition and they're, uh, they're at, at their best, they're a 40% shooter. Now they're shooting quick ones on the run in transition. I bet they drop down to 33, 34, you know, 32, even, you know, they get down to that percentage. I'm not a big fan of yellow light shooters taking transition threes before the ball ever penetrates the paint. Now, if you are a yellow light shooter, which I, you're, you're fine to shoot the three, just not pull anything. I like for theirs to come inside out. So if we get into the paint, in five to six seconds, and they get a kick out there and it comes inside out. I like that one. Yeah, that's good. And and I would say also in all this conversation, when you start doing things like playing those five seconds to the arc, seven seconds to the paint, um, you can game the game, meaning, hey, if we if we get a layup, you know, catch it two feet in the paint with a the layup, there's 10 points. So you're really – rewarding running the floor, whatever it is, your offense that you value. Maybe it's the, the paint kick out the three, Hey, that's a 10 pointer. Maybe it's the rim runner. Maybe it's the ball screen, whatever it is that you like, what you're going to do also, you know, what you're going to do, you're going to improve your transition defense because now they've got to value getting back, stopping ball, communicating. And so this is where you cross train your systems and it's not just an offensive drill. You're actually making your defense better. And coaches, I think that's important recognition here of that. Like you're training your defense, you're training your whole system, whatever that is that you choose. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I do think that there's a lot of cross training that has to happen to be a good transition team, you know, because uh, the, the word transition in itself, you know, a lot of times if we just go five on O, run everybody to their spots, we get a clean outlet, we get a clean, whatever it is, like that looks really pretty. But really, the biggest piece of transition is little things like, do we get wide and up for the outlet? Are we running through our pass and the pass is on time? Are we peeking ahead to get an early shot of who's where so that we can make better decisions? Are we filling lanes wide or our first three steps really hard? You know, like all of those little things, when I see good transition teams, they take care of those details and they, they care about those things because all of those you know, I just named like five little habits. All of those five habits could be three tenths of a second. And so that adds up to what a second and a half of time, even though they seem minimal, 
a second and a half in transition is a ton of time. And so you're trying to just saw off little bit of little pieces at a time to make sure that that ball is getting where it needs to get fast. And it's hard to do with bad habits. That's where I think teams say, we're just going to run because we're athletic and they don't build good habits. They look like a train wreck. And so having the habits to run is also a really vital part of being a good running team. Yeah, it's so true. And there's a big difference in running and sprinting. There's a huge difference. A lot of players run the floor, but they don't sprint the floor. And it takes a commitment. Like I, I tell some of our bigs all the time, let me back up. I, I tell our bigs all the time, you don't have to get a post touch to, to go get eight points a game. Here's why. Run the floor, or excuse me, sprint the floor, get four points a game on that, then go go be relentless on the offensive glass. There's another four points. That takes that just takes uh, willpower and effort and relentless attitude, and play less minutes because you're playing so hard and your productivity goes up. So there, there's a lot. And then, it, then my second point there would be your point guards. If you have a point guard that really can push tempo and get players to run with them and, and play at a fast pace and under control, like man, you you got a chance to be fire and transition because they can get into creases. They can get to paint. They can find the open shooters. They understand how to manipulate the defense, changing sides of the floor. So if you can get your point guards to do it, uh, I think you got a chance to be a really good transition team as well. Yeah. You know, and I think Sam, often as we do on the show, we're not telling you what's right or wrong. We just want to help you to make the right decisions and ask the right questions. And I think that's what really good coaches do. They ask the right questions. They know their personnel and they work their way through what is the right solution for this team. And when you just kind of piecemeal, you don't even know your team and you decide you're going to do this or you don't even know your depth and you decide to do this. And all of those things can lead to bad decisions. And what we hope for coaches is they make good decisions. And and look, I've made a lot of good ones in my career. I've also made a lot of bad ones. And the more I I know, the more I learn, the more I realize I have to ask myself good questions to get to the right answer. So I think it's really important for coaches to ask those right questions. Absolutely. Well, coaches, players, leaders, parents, all you listening, we appreciate you listening. Hit us up on social media, especially Twitter. Let us know what you think about these episodes, what you're getting out of them, what you like, what you don't like. Uh, TJ and I love spending time talking hoops and sharing with the basketball world. So he is TJ. I am Sam and we are the Hardwood Hustle. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of The Hardwood Hustle, where we believe in the value of a coach. Be sure to check us out on Twitter and Instagram at hardwood underscore hustle to stay up to date on the latest episodes and share your thoughts with our coaching community. From the Hardwood Hustle team, thanks again. We can't wait to be with you again next week.